Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 178, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, everything is delicious. It's every it's everything is so good. <laughs> I have not slept in a while. You got some projects, right? Listen. Plug them. You. No, yeah. you know, like I, I for those of you who don't know, I hit a mic and I was like, let's record at noon. By the way, it's like 11.15. I massively underestimated how efficient I am. I appreciate it. Because uh, I got stuff I got to get done this morning. And then while I was like sitting with my wife and my dog <laughs> drinking coffee, I sent one tweet that is not a project. And Mike floods the mentions immediately. What, what was the tweet? It was about cats and dogs shown on like Skype during the draft. <laughs> so I... I I do not want to admit how much money I bet every year on the draft regularly. Yeah. <laughs> now that there's literally nothing else to bet on, I have already bet so much money on the draft. Like, I don't feel it anymore. Right. And so yeah. when bet online, no free ads, but them added a bunch of new lines for just ridiculous things related to the virtual draft, uh, any drafty experience, technical difficulties. Yes, minus 500. Uh, highest yeah. number of people in the same room, which is hysterical, but also bad. They said that, right. they said the number at nine and a half, which would be like Oof. illegal or something. I don't know. And then the <laughs> one that I shared was uh, total cats shown during the first round uh, and total dogs shown during the first round. And they have the cats at a one and a half. I just think that's silly. Yeah. So for me, uh, I'm thinking about taking over cats. That's not the point of this podcast. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's draft season. So we're just out here grinding. That's your prop bet lock of the week on the Cats over under. But it really is going to be a fascinating draft process, something that we're going to talk about more in depth as we go through and how it affects teams and what it means. But right now, before we get into some draft talks, we're going to talk about some wide receivers, your big board, all that good stuff. Last time we talked, which was a couple of weeks ago, we went into you know, Darius Slay and the rest of the defensive back additions and so on. And one thing that you told me you wanted to talk about before the show was breaking down Darius Slay's contract and explaining what it means long term. So we're a little late on that, but it's important. It's not going anywhere. So let's talk about it. Um, as Howie is want to do, the first year of Slay's contract with the Eagles is an under $5 million cap hit. I mean, he did the same thing, for example, that year with Brandon Brooks, Ronnie McLeod, Nigel Bradham. It's all par, par for the course for him when he brings guys into the fold. But his contract overall is good through 2023, but there's more context needed there. When you break down that contract, Ben, what does it tell you? Yeah, no. So the Darius Slay contract is really good. It's good. It, they, as expected, it's good. And the thing went like, 
oh, Darius Slay was made the highest paid corner. That's what Ian Rappaport said. And Ian Rappaport said that because Drew Rosenhaus told him to say it. And Drew Rosenhaus <laughs> told him to say it because Drew Rosenhaus just negotiated Darius Slay's deal with the Eagles, right? And so right. Darius Slay certainly is going to make uh, average per year among the top corners. He's not going to play on this deal for the back half of it. For the, the four, it goes through 2023, so four years. He's not going to play the last two years on this deal. If he's good, they're going to restructure him. And if he's bad, they're going to cut him. Right. So yeah. what, what we see is we see the signing bonus fully guaranteed as per usual, only 13 million. And it's prorated over four years, not three years, even though it's a three year extension because the Eagles have him for 2020. 13 million signing bonus over four years, very small for a top contract. So we start there. Hmm. The 2020 salary, which Mike uh, brought up, is. Fully guaranteed. That's four and a half million, I think it is. And then yeah. uh, uh, the 2021 salary is also fully guaranteed, which is like 16 million. So totals 26 million guaranteed, all but six million of which is in the first two seasons. So 26 mm-hmm. million guaranteed, 20 million of it in the first two seasons. So when Darius Slay is 29 and 30 years old, for everybody who's terrified of old people, <laughs> when he's 29 and he's 30, he's going to make. Uh, with the signing bonus and with, with guaranteed salary, base salary as well, he's gonna make twenty six thousand or twenty six million. After that, the Eagles can pay him twenty million in twenty twenty two, and then another twenty million in twenty twenty three, if he's playing at a level where twenty million is an adequate number for that talent, which is extremely unlikely. Like it's very unlikely that any corner is playing worth twenty million because right now no corners are worth twenty million. So. If he's not playing at that level, they can restructure him, put more guaranteed money on his deal if he's playing well, and just bring the overall cap hit down, which Roseman made 2022 and 2023 as they are to restructure them later. It's what Zach Ertz's last three years were when he signed his extension. It's what the Fletcher Cox deal was. These massive cap hit figures, they're not going to play under these numbers. The Eagle, We're going to walk into 2022, and people are going to be like, the Eagles have no cap space. And right. Darius Slay here sitting on... $14 million of unguaranteed money in 2022. Well, you guarantee that money, you get to prorate it into future years. And if Darius Slay's playing well, you prorate it, you bring his overall cap hit down off the $20 million, and you guarantee that he remains on the roster. The alternative is cutting him, which obviously if Slay's playing well, you don't want to have to do. But let's say Slay comes in and he is getting older and he is continuing to go on a downhill and he is uh, you know, a, a disappointment on the contract. Well, then, yeah, the Eagles just played him $13 million each year for two years. Now they're going to cut him. And so it's not even a full, you know, whatever the, the the rumored number was of 17 million per year for three years. It's just not realistic relative to the contract. So Darius Slay is going to play the next two seasons for the Eagles. He's going to make 26 million over those two seasons. It's going to encapsulate pretty much all of his guaranteed money. Whatever remains will be a small cap hit to swallow relative to what you would save by cutting him. Right. So. Darius Slay is on a two-year, $26 million deal with the ability to restructure at the end. That's pretty much how you should look at it. And if Slay is anything like he's been on average, if he just gets back to where he was, it's a great deal. Yeah, I think it's a perfect hedge for him. Because like you said, I mean, you look at any big Roseman deal, you look at it two, three, four years in, it's a lot different than it was initially. Roseman is, is pretty good at restructuring these things as you go. And like you said, if it, if it's a downturn for, for Slay that happens violently and dramatically over the next couple of years, you get into the 2022 
and you're looking at a $19.75 million cap hit, but there's only a dead cap of 6.5. You save over $13 million if you deal him, cut him, whatever the case may be. So that there is the definite Alex before that, like 2021 is like 21, $22 million in dead cap. So that's when the potential out is 2022. So they've kind of hedged against that whole age thing that, like you said, everyone is terrified of. So I thought it was structured very, very well, especially if you get, you know, slay at the top of this game. And there's a lot of reasons why he had a quote unquote down year last year. But like we talked about in the last pod, we didn't really see anybody that was too much different than what we've seen in the past. Just the circumstances around him were a bit different and weren't conducive to high tier top level quarter cornerback play. So that's it on the on the Slay stuff. Let's transition to the NFL draft, which is fast approaching. Uh, so two things happened since we last recorded, and these are the only two things that matter in the world right now. First, I dropped my top 10 <laughs> wide receivers on BleedingGreenNation.com. Uh, 3,000 words for your eyeballs. Go read that if you haven't so you can get mad about me hating your favorite prospect or whatever. Second, you dropped a piece for the DraftNetwork.com entitled Answering a Complex Question can they play on the outside? And there's a focus on Justin Jefferson there. And that's where we'll go with this discussion, because there's a big debate about, you know, Jefferson's viability on the outside. And he's also the trendy pick for the Eagles at 21. So here's what I had to say about Jefferson in my article. I have him as wide receiver five, sniffing right around my top 30. Quote, the optimal utilization of his skill set is that of Juju Smith-Schuster pre-Antonio Brown's departure. The floor might be Juju after Antonio Brown went off the reservation. That's still a good, productive outlook that's going to sound like a knock to his staunch, staunch supporters. The ultimate question is how much do you value that role on the Eagles when they'll probably operate the slot by committee anyway, at least this year, enough to take them in the middle of the first round? Question mark. There's a case both for it and against it, but if you remove the debate about his exact draft slot from the equation, I like Jefferson more than it might sound, unquote. Ben, I'll let you chime in on that on a second, but I want to quote your article first to lay some more groundwork oh, wow. for the listeners. Uh, you had this to say about Jefferson, quote, in the NFL, just as in college, Jefferson will be most valuable in the slot. His best trait is his hand strength, which allows him to win contested catches in the intermediate areas while getting accosted by safeties and linebackers. Beyond that, his quicks, various gears and instincts as a route runner all translate best to maximizing the two-way go afforded by the slot but is he completely versatile can he play out wide at this point jefferson likely can't be trusted to get off press coverage in year one he was an inconsistent player in 2018 and in 2019 continued to show high peaks and low valleys when challenged on the line of scrimmage a team shouldn't ask him to play x receiver role early unquote so i agree with all of this and seeing that we both feel that his best role is a slot role and you can also give him, quote unquote, like outside alignments with reduced formations to give like the feel of a slot route tree. It's not a death knell for his stock. I and mean, he's not the only receiver I have this question about, right? It's not just Jefferson. And I'm not worried about it with Jerry Judy because he defeated press regularly when tasked with those alignments. But like Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, KJ Hamler, etc. I have similar issues. So we've also seen this before, like the Eagles tried to square peg around a hole with Nelson Aguilar on the outside his first two years, and he was and is still wholly ineffective on the outside. His best use in 2017, 2018, 2019, even with all the volatility there and the high points and low valleys, was the slot. Jordan Matthews, same thing. So this isn't something that we created out of mm -hmm. thin air. 
I think it's a legit concern. The question is, how much do you value that role, even if it's done at a high level? Now, with anything, I think raising a concern makes it sound like we're just writing Jefferson off, especially at 21. But I do think this is a guy that could come in and give you production right away, right? Like the comp I have with Juju, even bad Juju is a good player. But anyway, Ben, Justin Jefferson, it's a nuanced conversation. What's your take on him? And of course, are you upset if he's the pick at 21? Like Jefferson, I think you you got to to fully understand like the value of Jefferson at 21 for the Eagles. You have to deconstruct first all the way down to like what is a wide receiver and then build your way back up, right? <laughs> yeah. Because there's 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 too much that goes into this specific player for this specific team and this specific pick for us to just be like yes or no. Like it's not it's not that cut and dry. When, I, when you evaluate a wide receiver, the first question you want to be able to answer is, can he get off press coverage? Because if he can get off press coverage, I can put him anywhere on the field. Slot, Z, X, reduced alignment, nasty alignment, plus alignment, isolated, whatever. Because the worst thing a defense can do to you is press you. The, 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 the number one thing they can do to take you away is put a dude right on your line of scrimmage and tell him to hit you in the mouth. So if you can get off press... It follows you should be able to do pretty much anything from any alignment. Now, obviously, that's that's not exactly the case, right? You have guys who are good to get off press, but like it's because they're super strong and they're just not explosive, quick guys who are going to win in yak situations. But if you can get off press, I can align you anywhere, and then I'll ask you to do things relative to your strengths. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to see if you can get off press. If you can't, I have to protect you by alignment. What that means is I have to put you in places where you are unlikely to be pressed because if you are pressed, you're going to be taken out of the play one for one. We're going to be at a, defense, at a disadvantage. The places where I can align you to protect you from press, sometimes I can align you at Z. The Z receiver is typically off of the line of scrimmage. is the flanker, not the split end, the X. The Z is off the line of scrimmage, even though he's on the outside. And so we often put our, our speed receivers there because they get a free release. Corners can't bump them right away because they have to stay behind the line of scrimmage. And so they they have that little bit of space to get to the outside shoulder, run straight up the field, and just outrun press coverage. That's why Deshaun Jackson plays the Z. That's when he's on the outside, he's typically off of the line of scrimmage for that reason. But the primary way to protect a receiver from press coverage is in the slot because it's really, really hard to put slot corners in press coverage. Number one, slot corners are typically small dudes. They're typically shorter, stubbier Avante Maddox guys, they're not going to be as successful in the press because they don't have the physical tools to be successful in the press. Number one. Number two, you want them to be off the line of scrimmage because they're very often part of your run fit and they need to be able to fill into multiple gaps. If the run is away from the slot corner, he needs to pursue and be the backside C-gap defender. And it's very hard to do that if you're at the line of scrimmage. You're not going to be able to beat a block from a wide receiver. If you don't know off the line of scrimmage, she's coming to block you, you won't be able to beat him. And you can get outflanked and out leveraged. So we often need our, our slot corners to be off the line of scrimmage to be involved in our run fits as well. So I can put you in the slot to protect you from press. Okay. Now, what if you get off press, but I want you in the slot, right? Is there a situation where even if you can get off press, you're better in the slot? And the answer is absolutely. Yeah. Because the advantage of playing in the slot is having a two-way go. Receivers in the slot can release both to the inside and to the outside. Receivers aligned with a plus alignment at the numbers, outside of the numbers, the X, all the way out near the sideline. He doesn't have a two-way go. He can't run outbreaking routes. The sideline is there. And so if, if I have a really good route runner, a guy who can get off of press but also runs really great routes, think Jerry Judy in the Alabama offense who aligned at slot as frequently as Justin Jefferson did this past season. 
Judy has film from 2018 and film from 2019 getting off press more so than Jefferson does. Why weren't they putting him out there then? If he can get off press, why wasn't he at the X? It's because Judy runs some of the sickest routes in college football. Yeah. Put him into the slot, right? Because that's where the the his usage of the two-way go is going to be most devastating. He has the ability to maximize that disadvantage for the defense. A slot corner can't play you with an inside leverage, with inside shade, because they don't have a sideline on the outside to help them out to defend outbreaking routes. And so receivers who can maximize the two-way go are typically better in the slot. Now let's evaluate Justin Jefferson. When he's asked to release off press coverage, he struggles. It is mm-hmm. not a strength of his. He's got good footwork. He's got good agility, good illusiveness, good head fakes. I like the top of his route stems, but he is good when he is not crowded. When you get into his kitchen, he struggles. He melts off of contact. He wants to get away from physicality. He does not like activating his offhand. That's okay. Yeah. All these things are like, like they're, they're notes on a film eval. They're, t- they're trying to figure out how to get a guy in a fit, get a guy into his best role. It's not saying he can't play because he can't do this. A lot of receivers in the NFL melt off contact, don't want to play through contact, don't like contact, don't activate their offhand because it sucks. And you rather just run in free space. Jefferson's <laughs> one of those dudes. So Jefferson does not like being pressed and was most effective like Judy when he got moves primarily to the slot and a really talented college wide receiver core because he can maximize the two-way go because he's a delightful little route runner with a ton of burst, a ton of wiggle, really smart, great in space, tough and contested catches, really sure hands across the middle. So the skills match a slot deployment and the weaknesses match a slot deployment. Does Philadelphia need a player who in at least year one will likely be relegated to slot play? The reality is because of the way the Eagles like to use Zach Ertz by constantly flexing him off of the line of scrimmage, they already have one slot occupied. It's by their tight end. They don't have two slots on the field. They have one because Ertz, who's not a wide receiver, plays slot tight end for them, if you want to call it that. So their need for a slot receiver is diminished. They run those two-way go routes with their tight ends who win with leverage and size. They they box out and they win in the short areas. They like to use Alshon Jeffrey in the slot. And as you've always talked about, they moved Deshaun to the slot more than he typically played for other teams. So accordingly, the Eagles don't have a gap at slot receiver. They have a gap at outside receiver. If they're taking Jefferson at 21, it's because they believe he can become an outside receiver. They believe that he has a good foundation to release off of press, can continue to learn how to release off of press, win in more contested catch situations, which he's more likely to have because he won't be able to separate as much because he doesn't have a two-way go. There's projection involved in Jefferson as an Eagle because he's going to see more reps outside than he did in LSU, and that's not where his strengths are. So development will be required. That's the long and the short of it. If you're taking him at 21, you are projecting development in a class that is rife with year one starters. I won't hate it because Jefferson's a good player, but you should be able to find a guy who has more experience and better film at X, getting off of press on the outside. Denzel Mims out of Baylor. Jalen Rager out of TCU. Then you do with Justin Jefferson at LSU. Great player. Doesn't make sense for the Eagles. At 21, like I said, I wouldn't hate it because I think he's talented. But there, th- this isn't the class to go reaching for a guy with a projection who maybe in year two is going to start giving you what you need. Mm-hmm. This is a really talented group. Go get a guy who fits what you need now. Yeah, let's talk about that guy. Maybe like w- when you graded Jefferson, you kind of alluded to it before. And I talked about it when, when you were uh, for, for your article about his plus traits. I mean, I saw a guy with fantastic reactive quickness with his hands. They're strong. He can make tough catches over the middle. He's got really nice body control, works the catch point well. 
That's an area of his game I value more so than a lot of others. Now, at the same time, him being so good in that role raises a flag because, like, he's working free releases against soft zone voids while Jamar Chase is drawing coverage. And as such, his average depth of target of 8.4, I believe it is, is, like, among the lowest in the class. Much lower than a guy like Judy who was afforded more of the same luxury. But I also think when I watch him, you see a really intelligent guy who, like a Juju Smith-Schuster, like a Robert Woods, has a great feel for space and leverage in those shallow shallow to intermediate areas. So the skills get balanced that way. The question, the above average grades on Jefferson, does it go beyond just the hands and the intelligence that you kind of mentioned before? When you graded him out, what really stands out that would maybe make the Eagles feel confident that that projection is okay because there's not just the releases, but other stuff to work with. Because one of the things you mentioned was like melting off contact, but I think like in contested situations, that body control that I mentioned, those strong hands and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I really think they show up in those places. So I do feel okay with him getting those downfield targets as opposed to a guy like a Nelson Aguilar who not only melts against contacts in the, in the in the short intermediate areas against press, but down the field does that as well. I think Jefferson is stronger in that area. Yeah, so for Jefferson's evaluation, his best trait that, that he graded out for me at a at a like a strong level, what I would call an excellent level with the terminology I use was hands. His next best is track and adjust. Yeah. Like he's really good at finding the football. And and the instances in which he does it in the LSU film is across the middle of the field in really quick situations. Like Jefferson's one of those guys you love to target on like sit routes and slant routes because he turns around the ball, the, the throwing motion's already begun and he just, he reflex catches the ball. He doesn't need to track. He doesn't need to find it. He's going to turn. He's knowing a safety's going to hit him. He's knowing a linebacker's closing on him and he's still able to find that ball, soft, secure hands, bring it into his frame and survive contact. So like he's got a good track and adjust. He doesn't have a big catch radius. Like, I mean, like he's got fine elevation ability, fine length and fine long speed, but like nothing is stellar. So uh, to me, like, I think his best contested catch film is going to remain in the short to intermediate. Like he's he's comfortable getting hit and he secures catches through contact and he catches really instinctively across the middle of the field without regard for his body. So he's going to continue to be, I think, really, really valuable there. It's funny because like I'm at a a, it's it's difficult talking about Jefferson like this because he's going to be so good in a role that the Eagles just don't need him to fill. Right. They just don't need this player. They like, they, they need a wide receiver. And if you're telling me a player like Justin Jefferson, were on the board in round three, round four, like if you're telling me Van Jefferson's on the board for the Eagles at one Oh three, let's a uh, yippee Kaye. Like I'm in, you know, like, that's, this is exactly what, what like, like great. That's good value. And, and hopefully they, they already picked a wide receiver round round one and they're double dipping or whatever. But Jefferson in round one, like you just you don't need the player who's got secure hands and good catches across contact in the short to intermediate areas, because listening to this podcast, if you're an Eagles fan, you should hear that and go, sounds a lot like Zach Ertz, because it is. And (laughs) Ertz is just doing it at 35, 40 pounds more than Jefferson is. But but like when we talk about roles in a passing game, that role is filled and it's probably filled to abundance with what you have in in. Dallas Goddard and also what some of the quality film from JJ Arthur Whiteside out of Stanford was like Arthur Whiteside was great at like you know five three step five step slant make a catch against leverage tough through uh, survive the ground survive contact deal with pressure like that was such a big part of his game and so like 
I think you have those players. I don't think you have a player who lines up outside of the numbers, beats a corner one-on-one, and makes a catch over his helmet. Mm. That's the guy I want. Is there a guy at 21 like that that you would feel comfortable taking there? Is it Denzel Mims or somebody else? I'd like uh, Mims is he's tough. Like yeah, you know I, I'm. <laughs> I, I, here's what really I'm the same way. Mims is my wide receiver four. I think he's got the most boom bust potential of any of these guys. If he works out, like he could work X and Z and be fantastic. But like there are concerns there. He is not a slam dunk. The the Mims thing is tough for me because. I watched Mims. This happens like, like this. I know this happens to everybody who who does this. Like I know it's happened to you. It happens to me. I watched Mims in like November, December before the Senior Bowl. I liked his film. I thought he was better route running. People gave him credit for. I thought he was a good athlete. He ended up with an early two on my board. Mm. Was really high relative to where he was. Then he has the Senior Bowl. He did. And he has the combine. He did. And now I think everybody else is too high on him. But I still love him <laughs> and feel like. I'm too high on him. You know what I mean? Like people are like, right. oh, Denzel Mims like bona fide first round. Oh, like he should be like, maybe like in the thirties. But then also like back when I first thought he should be in the thirties, I was the revolutionary. So like I don't know what like it's. <laughs> I feel very oddly about him at, at 21. I think he's a better trade back candidate than he is anything else. Yeah. I don't think he'll be wide receiver four off the board, and he's wide receiver math seven for me. Mm. Uh, because uh, you know agnostic of what LaVisca Chenault's injury situation is. You could call him wide receiver six. Like I just, I can't tell you how his surgery went. I don't know. Um, but I have Jalen Rager ahead of him and I have KJ Hamler ahead of him. But if we're talking about, Hey, the Eagles need an X receiver to replace Alshon Jeffrey as a player. They can target on deep comebacks, the player they can target on, on back shoulder fades. And in the red zone, it goes one CD lamb two Denzel Mims and they ain't getting CD lamb brother. So like it, it, it is a little bit conditional on, on, how much you value Mims's skill set right there and also how much you're going to target him. Cause the same thing that goes into Jefferson not being valuable for, for the Eagles because of the targets they give Ertz over the middle goes into your X receiver. And that's why Alshon Jeffrey's been complaining for two years yeah. because the number one scare quotes receiver for the Eagles doesn't get targeted like a number one receiver doesn't get targeted like an X because the Eagles funnel a lot of targets to their tight ends and their running backs. And probably having a, a rookie there winning at X is helpful because he won't have expectations for how he should receive volume. But if you're spending 21 on the player, you do want to give him some targets when he's on the field. And the Eagles tend not to throw to that position. So there's a lot of dynamics that go into that distribution and that pick. I would prefer Mims to Jefferson at 21 Same. comfortably. Yeah. But I would hope that they would be able to push back and get him a little bit later. This is funny because a lot of the discussion around these wide receivers is, are they worth 21? That's the question. If the Eagles were at 30, 31, 32, I'd be like, yeah, I like all these guys. <laughs> I like a lot of these guys in that range. But 21, maybe a bit rich, but I think I'd be okay with Mims like you. Yeah, I know. I know we're going to talk about Hamler, so let's talk about Rager. Where where are you on Rager? Yeah. Oh, that, that sounds great. Rager is in that weird, like, you could have him fifth to 10th as far as like wide receiver five wide receiver 10 and i really wouldn't argue with you i don't think he's a he's a first round guy for me i just have too many concerns about him overall like it's weird man watching his yak like drop off a cliff and i know some of that has to do with ball placement and everything like that the guy just sought the sidelines like so much he had no interest in blocking and, and, and like selling the decor routes and everything like that but you watch him like you give the guy a speed release and he's just 
eating these guys up and stacking with ease and whatnot. His quarterback plays so bad. I think he was fourth most uncatchable balls out of this class from the, from the from the quarterback. So like if you were to get him like early in the second round, I'd be really excited about him. But that that's kind of what I mean. Like when you talk about like you talk about these wide receivers in the context of twenty one overall. Like if he slides in this draft because it's a loaded class and they end up getting him in the mid to late second round, heck yeah. I'm on board. I I think he's faster than he timed. I think the jumps show that he is plenty explosive. I think he's got more to his route tree than TCU allowed him to show. Yeah. So I like Rager. I just don't think I'm as high on him as others. But like I, I think he's got a, a pretty solid projection at the next level. So like film wise, Rager does not have as as high of a grade for me as Denzel Mims does. I have Mims higher. I'm going to confirm Same. that. I do. And he's right there with Hamler, right? They're, they're very similar spots. And then uh, the, the, the production and athleticism aspects of my grading come in. And Rager jumps into the first round because Rager was the whole passing offense in TCU. That's like reflected in the numbers. It's also reflected in the film. You watch this guy against like Kansas State. Kansas State's like, hey, here's three defenders. Throw it to anyone else. You can't, and you can't even hit Rager when you're throwing it to him. You know what I mean? Like it's like they they don't uh, the um the attention that he got as the only receiving option, especially in his final season there, it just makes it, it, it quite difficult. He ran a bad three cone and a bad short shuttle, and people again cared. Right, and I don't. I never saw that on film. Yeah, and I didn't care. Like, okay, so you're gonna tell me that Mims has better hips than Jalen Rager? I refuse to believe that. And you, you could have flipped their three-cone times. I'd have been like, yeah, that sounds right. Like, Mims just mastered the drill, in my opinion. His hips don't move on film. Rager's yeah. plenty loose for me, right? Right. It's funny because, like, every year we do this where we go, like, you know, this guy's an ex-track athlete, too. Like, he was Texas high school track, right? And, like, right. this means the thing. But for, like, nine out of ten of those dudes, Rager being one of them, doesn't mean anything. Like, right. like I mean, it does. Like, Rager had tremendous jumps, but we all knew that coming in. He did yeah. run the 40. He expected he had a bad three cone, a bad uh, short shuttle, showing you that, like, athleticism isn't a, isn't a catch-all term, and there's linear athleticism, and there's athleticism through angles, you know, whatever. And then there's always that one dude, Mims, who tests way better than everybody thinks. And it's like, well, obviously, because he was a track athlete. All these other dudes are track athletes. You can't yeah. just pick the one and be like, <laughs> See, we knew that his track background. No, absolutely. Mims three cone is complete garbage. Where the heck is that in his routes? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Right. And like this as a as a proclaimed Mims fan, you know what I mean? Right. And, and again, the first thing I said about him was I think he's a better route runner than people give him credit for. But it ain't because he's got wicked hip sync. That's not his game. That's you know what I mean? It. Like he does a really good job. I talked about activating your offhand. Mims does a really good job running routes through contact and, and creating space by generating leverage and displacing corners and forcing them into recovery positions with upper body strength, with, with length, and then with his, his linear burst as well. Rager, to circle it back home, I mean, ran a bad three cone. I like I'm, I'm gonna sleep great at night. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Three cone for wide receivers is increasingly becoming pointless. I don't know why anybody's running it. Rieger is wicked explosive for his density. Yeah. He is wicked fast for his density. He is a nightmare to tackle. You think the guy can't break angles? He was punt returner, kick returner for three straight seasons for TCU. Yep. TCU, which has like. 12 bajillion nutty athletes on their <laughs> rosters. The only way they recruit is just bringing in weightlifting gods. And they're like, yeah, Rager's the best one to return this ball. So the vision and the, the instinct is outstanding. 
he is is very attractive as like all right can he play the x he's not the prototypical size right he's under six foot so the eagles would more so want to play him in a z role which you would currently imagine is occupied by deshaun jackson so the fit is a little tricky there but also it's like another player that you can rotate into the backfield yes. and put in motion everything like that so if the eagles want to make their offense more college which is not a given but maybe that makes a lot of sense when you look at the hires that they make, that's where you have to look at the Briner hire, the, the kid out of Mississippi State, and hope that he has some sort of influence in college designs. If you're looking at Rich Scangarella, you're right now, Scangarella's going to die from Mims. Mims is huge oh, on blocks. Yeah. Yep. It's Shanahan receiver. Like, he's, you know, like, it's, it's, I, he doesn't run great routes, but he's good yak guy, and he come up and hit you during a running play, and, like, that's important for them. So we don't know exactly how the Eagles offense is going to change, which makes that prognostication tricky. Um, But I think Rager is somebody that, Peterson would know how to use and he's not limited in the like you know the ignore the three count like he's a delightful athlete um so I'm glad like I'm, I'm glad that you're on board enough with him at, at 21 again I would prefer him to Jefferson at 21 if that's kind of the the measuring stick we're using nowadays and then I'm all about Rager in round two he's my wide receiver eight but like all those guys are clumped together in the second round one, one quick note before we hit the break do you remember Jordan Willis? That was out of Kansas State. Was drafted. Oh by- yeah, 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 Jordan Willis, <laughs> Mister. I'm gonna run way past the peak of the pocket, and then I'm just gonna duck underneath the tackle, and I'm gonna sack the quarterback from behind like a coward. Zero, zero bend to his game. Like his aiming point was like the opposite pylon. He ran a six eight five three cone, ninety fifth percentile. Like bad athlete. Tested, fantastic. Everybody was like, "What the heck is this?" Got to the NFL. He's a bad athlete. Tested really well. So sometimes these things happen. All right. When we come back, uh, I'm going to pick apart Ben's big board. We're going to fight about some more prospects. That's coming up next here on the Kiss and Solak Show. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries... AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 178, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. So the next time we record, Ben, uh, we're going to get more in-depth in this class. And obviously, wide receiver is the hot-button item, so that's where a lot of our time is going and has been going. But to get that process of talking about some other players, you know, kick-started, I took a look at your top, 200 big board that you recently released for the draftnetwork.com and i saw some interesting stuff just to get off wide receiver for a second i saw three players in the top 20 that i love for the eagles caleb on chasen at 11th overall christian fulton at 12th overall 
Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU at 15th overall. I think everybody knows how we feel about Fulton, the corner, and Queen, linebacker. We've talked about them a good deal. Love what they could bring to the Eagles defense. But let's say Chasen starts to slide, the edge rusher. Given the lack of proven depth on the Eagles at the edge position, and even the like the proven viability at one of the edge spots with Barnett, and then Graham's age at the other spot, like I'm all aboard grabbing Chasen. This guy has elite get-off, elite bend. I think he's more developed as a pass rusher than some may be giving him credit for. This dude is a future stud, in my opinion. And, like, if you want Yannick Ngalkwe, you, you really can't argue. If you want to trade 21 for Yannick Ngalkwe, you can't complain about getting this guy You at also can't pronounce his name. Yannick Ngalkwe? What's it, what is it? Ngakwe. Ngakwe? Not Ngakwe. Whatever. When he, when he becomes an eagle, I will pronounce yes. it correctly. You hear, like, some of the chatter around Edge and, like, Yatur Gross, Gross Matos. Gross Matos? Yatur Gross Matos. Yatur Gross Matos. It's not a good class for you, man. I just, I'm rough with the pronunciations. Uh, so, I'm out on Yatur. It, it, it looks like if you're going to get an Edge rusher, and I think you're out on, on Yatur as well at 61st overall. So, if it's an Edge... Give me Chasen. He's clearly the second yeah. best pass rusher in this class. It's not close. That's the guy if the Eagles go for something like that. If he, if he slides, I'm all over it. But I don't think he I don't think he gets there. Yeah. Gross Matos is is uh you know, I for for the whole draft season, he's been low for me. And I've literally not watched more games on a single prospect this year than him. <laughs> and like trying to get there. Right. I got him I got him up to, to sixty one. Like I he went from a late three to an early three. I've watched I think like twelve games. No, 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 no. I watched eight games and I watched like four from 2018. And <laughs> that's a lot. By the way, that's a lot because by game, I'll be very frank with you. It's more than Anybody's. I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I just, you know, like, you know, I, I, I got to get it. And, and you get his best film and it's, yeah, like the dude's built like Gumby. You know what I mean? Like, like eventually there's, there's a, I was talking with Joe Marino about him and Joe was like, there's a floor on a dude with his tools and it's above where you have him. And, you know, like, that's fair. So I talked myself into him as best as I can, but he's rawer than a California role. So I'm not there. Now, you can say Caleb on Chasen's also raw, but the issue with saying Chasen's raw is number one. Chasen was asked to do a lot more different things than Gross Matos right. was. Gross Matos kicked inside and did some sub packets rushing, but like shooting a gap and executing a rush move is shooting a gap and executing a rush move, period. You know what I mean? The the edge and this off ball, and I assume not off ball, this hybrid outside linebacker for Dave Aranda chasing out a drop into coverage a lot. He spent a lot less time rushing than gross Matos did. So developmentally he should be raw than gross Matos. He is not gross Matos is more raw. And so if we're talking about a player who I think has a positive developmental track, Chasen is the one whose natural tools have better expressed themselves in terms of pass rush success so far. And he's going to get more experience. He's going to have a greater uptick in reps than Gross Matos is coming into the league. So I think that you have a really nice developmental projection for Chasen accordingly. I don't think he's going to be a six, seven sack guy, mm. even if he starts in his first year. I think he's going to deal with a lot of power. He's going to deal with a lot of jump sets, and he's not going to know how to handle it. When you really start to teach him how he can activate power in his hands, which is, what I think, the biggest issue on his film right now, he can be a nightmare. Because when, when he has a speed to power rush, you're not going to be able to deal with, you're not going to be able to jump set him. And so you're going to have to meet him on an island on a 54-degree set or deep. And he's, he's going to beat you to it half the time. He's so freaking quick. And then he's really, really bendy. Mm. Um, Eagles aren't going to draft him. There's no chance. 
Uh, the Eagles aren't taking Edge in round one. I like. I would love to see it. Right. It won't happen. We talked about this because Jim Sports has his daughters wear Derek Barnett jerseys and he loves them. Right. Like, you, it's, like it's you open this whole question by being like the uncertain depth in the Eagles defensive line, and I was like, don't brother, see it that way. You, yeah, you and I think it's uncertain depth. <laughs> Nobody else does. So yeah, I, I I don't think they're taking Edge in round one. I also like it in the event Caleb on Chase and we're falling, and in the event the Eagles wanted him at twenty one. They'd have to trade up to 16 to get him. Yeah. I think if he makes it to 17 at Dallas, who, you know, name the starter opposite Demarcus Lawrence right now. Three, two, one, go. Can't. It's like Tyrone Brad, Crawford or something. Randy, like, it's just like uh, it just, Alden, it, Alden Smith, Randy. The Gregory, Cowboys finally, <laughs> finally had two good edges last year. And then they let it go. And well, and obviously, like, don't pay Robert Quinn, whatever, like the Falcons pay or the Bears right. paying him like 16 million per or something. But like no free agent addition. They're like, let's just go back to Demarcus Lawrence being doubled all the time. That was great. <laughs> Which like he was doubled all the time in 2019. So I Robert Quinn had like nine sacks or right. whatever he did. And then anyway, fans complain about, you know, the sacks for Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I think that they would. I think they would take Caleb on. It would make a lot of sense for what Mike Nolan is going to look for in a three, four outside rush back. So. Yeah, so I don't think Caleb even makes it to them, nor do I think they would value him right. because, or I think they'd value him. I don't think they'd pick him because I think they have bigger needs. Yeah, yeah, he's 11th on your board. He, I think he's going to be a top 10 guy for me, probably around like 8th or ninth or whatever. So I really value him. But uh, okay, let's hit one more guy before we get out of here. One guy that you kind of alluded to this before that we are far apart on, uh, far apart on is KJ Hamler from Penn State. He's 26th on your board. I gave him a high third round grade. My formula does not, him yet? does not care for super tiny fellows with bad hands. And look, Hamler's film is like straight adrenaline injected right into your face. Okay. It's super fun. And I've said it a ton, but his play speed is like at the top of the class. This, this dude eats cushion no problem. That poor safety from Michigan is still trying to turn and recover and keep up with him. So I just, I just have. So many concerns with his viability at the next level as a consistent, like three level threat. But I'll ask you, what makes you so high on him and what makes you comfortable thinking, okay, this guy, 16 games in the NFL, durable, can do it all type of guy that's going to consistently make your offense better? Brandon Cooks, pro football reference. <laughs> Brandon Cooks, pro football reference. Brother Brandon. Oh, look at that. Brandon Cooks has played in 16 games in seasons. John Brown, pro football reference. I actually don't know John Brown's health is a risk. Okay, Brown has <laughs> played in at least 15 games in four of the last five, or five of the last six seasons. Now, you know why I bring this up, though. It's not just the durability. It's also the fact that there is zero, zero, zero physicality to his game. There's zero physicality to Smoke's game. You still can't catch Smoke. Like, it, Hamler is so stupid quick right like people give him the Tyreek Hill comp and I like like Hill is really quick and really really fast I think Hamler is really fast and really really quick right and and again like they're not neither is deficient in any area I just when I when, when I think Tyreek Hill I think Tyreek Hill on a straight line racing you to a corner Hamler is a dude who you know he's going to catch the the slant He's going to see four pursuing defenders and somehow end up on the other sideline in two seconds. Like the agility and the elusiveness is nuts. I like, listen, I also don't want him to get hit. I certainly don't. But the thing about 
like the, the cost of doing business in terms of having that level of elusiveness is you're not going to be dense and you're not going to be large. If you had long limbs, you wouldn't be able to be that quick. And if you were a dense, you wouldn't be able to have that sort of flexibility. That's like the Jalen Rieger conundrum, right? Is it's like, right. oh, we thought Rieger's going to have better agilities. Rieger's built like a tank. Hamler's not, but that's why Hamler's super loose. And so yeah. in terms of run after catch players in a class with, LaVisca Chenault, who I think is the best run after catch player we have in this in this group with CeeDee Lamb, who's an unbelievable run after catch player with Henry Ruggs, who is game breaking speed like we don't see in every single draft. You have so many good rack guys. Uh, yeah, if yeah. you gave me one player to throw a screen to to pick up 15 yards on third and 13, it's KJ Hamler every single time. What the dude does with the ball in his hands is just ridiculous, right? And then I gave him the Brandon Cooks and the John Brown comps because you're going to be able to get him, what, in the slot one-on-one against an, a capping safety eight yards off? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you, yeah, the, like if you can do that reliably, like... But it, see, like that's it, the thing. It doesn't matter if you can do it reliably because Hamler's not going to be wide receiver one for your team, right? He's not going to be your primary target. He's uh, Brandon Cooks, John Brown. They're not, you know, Brown was obviously a primary target for Buffalo last year, and they went and got Stephon Diggs because that's not really a winning formula. You want him to be a secondary target because when you have Stephon Diggs commanding corner one, Stephon Diggs commanding cone coverage, and all of a sudden, you know, defensive coordinator gets itchy. He wants to send five. He wants to send six. And yeah, now they're rotating a deep half safety over KJ Hamler. Good night. And like yeah, if you and like and so Penn State, if you if you look into the Penn State offense last year, the Penn State offense on paper, like from a game to game basis, was really good on a drive to drive basis was the biggest roller coaster of all time. <laughs> and it was because they had like drives of like two, three, 87. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like they, they journey Brown, that, that, that young man, they had the shorter guy, whatever Friar Muth, people call baby Gronk. Like they had good office weapons, but it was just, we got Hamler on a dude that shouldn't be on Hamler. Right. You know what we're going to do? We're going to run the Hamler play. Right. It's and the, that's the, the ISO of, post, right. Where you yeah. get that. Oh, you, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think they call it glance. Did I don't they? remember. I don't remember what they do in Penn state. Uh, that guy's now like the head coach of the, you know, Troy or something. I don't remember. Anyway, right. Anytime they got him an off coverage in the slot, they were like, I guess what we're going to do. We're going <laughs> to throw it to him really fast. <laughs> you're not going to be able to catch him because yeah. you're a linebacker from Iowa. And she's like, you know, it, it's he brings just electrifying. He is. Yeah. Ability with the ball in his hands. So, yes, he doesn't have a big catch radius. Yes, he fights the football at times. You know, like Mike Michael Pittman fights the football times. Nobody talks about it because he's six three with ten inch hands. But like he double catches. Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue double catches. People double catch. Bunch of pros double catch. Mims does it too. Yeah. yeah. If you can break four tackles on a screen, I will live with you dropping the occasional football. That's the thing. That was the whole Nelson Aguilar, you know philosophy was oh the hands are bad but like he's such a good player in space but then when he was a bad player in space oh he'll be our deep threat and then he wasn't a field stretcher and that's when you run out of patience for the guy who can't catch the football hamler's gonna be fine because he's gonna be so good with the ball in his hands i just think cooks was more polished thicker he was thicker and i just i don't know if, if hamler is going to be able to deal with contact and then be able to catch the, the ball consistently outside of that you taking that first round a lot of people like him up there so I have him like if you look at where round one ends and round two begins on my board, uh -huh. he's literally right on the fringe. I like know. he's right there. Uh -huh. Um the Hamler is 
extremely valuable to a subset of NFL teams. It's not for every team, right? Yeah. So, like, I have him right next to Mims. They have very similar grades. Mims fits on any team. Every single team is going to be able to use a guy like Mims because yeah. Mims can win covered. Mims can win in situations where, where he's beating one-on-one coverage and he's going up over a guy and he's separating late and he's running a standard vertical route tree on the outside. Hamler's going to need a team that's willing to work to give him space touches. Yeah, Eagles have been that team. They've, 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 they've sculpted offense game plans around space touches for Miles Sanders and for Nelson Aguilar and for Greg freaking Ward by Golden the end of the season. State, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So they, they, they can be that team, but you know, it's like, it's like Miko Hardman last year at a, at a, at a Georgia ridiculous speed demon receiver, a ton of rack ability, not a physical dude, inconsistent hands. And everybody's like, he's good. And then he got drafted by Kansas City, and we're like, he's the greatest player alive. Right. Right. Because, like, once you get drafted into that system, when you have those physical tools, you know you're going to be afforded the space to be successful. They threw Miko Harmon as a punt returner, an occasional deep threat guy. They were thrilled with that pick. Was he statistically amazing? No. But what he does in space for them and and the attention that he demands, especially opposite Tyree Kill, is exactly what the doctor ordered. So, good point. Good point. Hamler, you know, Hamler's going to be, he's not going to be valuable for. Good thing of a good example, it's like the Seahawks. Right. They, yeah. They're putting they're putting two or three into the concept, run heavy play action. Nobody thinks Hamlet's gonna block. Right. And you're gonna have too many bodies around Hamlet to consistently target him. Nah, you know what I mean? I mean, like, let's let's put Hamler in Cincinnati and let's get freaking cooking. You know, I think it'll be great. So Ben Waffle then uh, didn't make a uh, a pick there at twenty one for Hamler for the Eagles. Here's 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 the board for the Eagles at twenty one, assuming Lamb, Judy, and Ruggs are off the board. Hit him. Of the guys we've talked about, it's Mims, Rager, Hamler, Jefferson. Okay. I probably yeah. put Jefferson and, a little bit higher, but people yeah. think I hate him, so I, I, I like that. And I'm 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 low on uh Brandon Ayuk, the kid out of Arizona State. We're gonna fight about him on another show. You like him? Yeah, we don't have time to get into it though, because we're gonna fight about him. Okay. I have it on my calendar, fight Ben about Ayuk. I had Betray Michael on my calendar and still nobody knows why, so <laughs> So then we'll get to that on the next one. But that's going to do it for the Kist and Solak show this time around. We're going to try to make this a more regular thing. We've been we've been given some space because the whole having my family home all the time has been has been really tough on your boy. My marriage is fine, though. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Don't really know how to carry that note. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I You're just, a newlywed. You wouldn't. <laughs> Everything's yeah, roses right like, now. You just know how to keep that tone through the outro so just do my usual thing <laughs> thank you as always for listening to the kiss and so Like show here on bgn radio we do appreciate you swinging by uh, this was wide receiver discussion a little bit of darius slay contract it's the off season we hodgepodge it as it comes mike does have more podcasts coming your way however the next upcoming show on wednesday with i'm gonna remember i'm gonna remember eric crocker talking to defensive backs on the nfl draft and thursday austin gale from pff also of their draft team discussing the prospects upcoming less than three weeks to the NFL draft two and change as we stare down the barrel of one of the rare now one of the few and far between live sports related events of the current climate so get excited for that get excited for Harry Roseman chilling at home I think Dougie showing up with a couple buttons unbuttoned on FaceTime yeah I'll take that Hamler kid out of Penn State he seems like a lot of fun uh, so live draft that'll be uh, uh, upcoming it'll be a good time we hope to have you all prepared for that uh, BGN Radio is the feed and on Twitter at BGN Radio BleedingGreenNation.com of course is the website he's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL it's K-I-S-T I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak that's S-O-L-A-K 
We'll catch you next time around. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly.